0: And we are live. All right, Brady Quinn. Hey, welcome to another episode of Canel and Bell. It's Friday. Uh, we're going off the rails. Thanks for hopping in. Yeah. Um, talk a little football. We could talk some some NBA. Some, I guess some basketball. Yeah, there's a little
1: basketball in the news. Like, there were some comments that came out, and I don't honestly know if there's anyone better suited to answer these questions than you.
0: Yeah, I felt like it was teed up for me. But I, in, in all honesty, like I really thought the two parties that are involved, and we'll get to it later, were on a lot better footing than that. So it really took me by surprise. Um, good tease, by the way. That's good tease. tease thank really you. Long. It's a deep tease, right? Because we're going it's, like... It's, it's a deep tease. <laughs> we're going like C-block with that. Not like a deep tea, but like Not an like actual like a deep really tease. deep tease, right? Yeah. Um, let's start with football, dude, because the Hall of Fame game, football was back last yeah, night. It's back, man. Um, did you watch it?
1: I did. You did. I, I'm one of those geeks and nerds that even though Joe Flacco, Matt Ryan wasn't going to play, right? I wanted to see what these guys looked like. I want to see like the back end of the roster, guys who are trying to make the team. Um, I want to see Drew Lock. I mean, like as a quarterback, second round pick, you could have made the case. There's some first round talent as far as his arm and ability, right? But you know, clearly you could see he's not ready. All
0: right. So Broncos win 14-10, yeah. and then I was going to get to Drew. Tell me what your assessment was of Drew. Like what. What stuck out to you as, as you know being reasons why you didn't think he was ready? Other than just general rookiness, right? Because you, right. you, you know the speed of that is going to catch you the first couple times out. Right. What other things did you see?
1: Which is funny because that was one of the first things that stood out to you is just how slow it was. Right. You know I've watched enough film and all that now to, to, to kind of know there's different speeds, right? There's preseason, there's right. regular season, there's postseason, and they're all three different speeds. Um, so a lot of these guys looked like rookies. They looked like young players in the league. The the things that stood out the most about Drew Locke was just the pocket presence. It's so important in the NFL. And and people don't really understand that, but the the guys who are blocking for you up front, the guys who are paid to come sack you, you know, managing that pocket, understanding where to navigate, where to go in order to throw or get the ball off, or even slide subtly
0: mm-hmm.
1: so you can get a throw off and not, not make it look like pressure, that's an art. That's something that Tom Brady's perfected. Aaron Rodgers is one of the best yeah. Drew Brees, all the greats. They've all figured that out. For a lot of young players, that's one of the most glaring, obvious things that you see from them is not understanding how to navigate the pocket and how to handle pressure to really just slide a little bit and all of a sudden there's no more pressure. So that stood out. Uh, I think there was times, too, just a couple of the throws were off here and there where, look, in the NFL – I don't care if, if you and I are running step for step. If there's one on one coverage, I'm, I'm throwing to you, Raj. Right. You're you're open. Go get that. And, and, and so those opportunities when you have a guy wide open where meaning he's like a step or two past the guy, you got to throw a more catchable ball. He missed uh, the running back up, up the sideline. Could have been a huge gain. Uh, it missed a a few of his throws. And sometimes that's just, you know, first game, early hitters. That could be a part of it too.
0: Yeah. I remember my first preseason game. Uh, and you talk about the levels of speed. Like preseason practices were way faster than anything I had ever experienced, right? right? So I was like, dang, I gotta be, I gotta be good to play at that speed until they dropped me into a preseason game. And I was like, damn, this is even faster, <laughs> right? And then, you know, you, you just acclimate. So then you, you get through the preseason games and you're like, all right, I'm cool. And then regular season hits and that's a, a whole nother speed. So, um, you, well, what was interesting about it was the comments
1: of his head coach, like earlier in training camp, right? right. Where, you know, it was kind of looked at as well, Joe Flacco they traded for. And so he's going to be the guy, but Drew Locke's trying to compete with him because they draft him the second round. And Vic Fangio made the comment, look, th- this guy's not a quarterback. He's a pitcher right now. He's got a strong arm. Right. And, and I kind of stepped back and was like, oh, okay. Like <clears throat> you're a defensive minded coach. You're a first time head coach and he's old school. So maybe, I mean, look, <clears throat> the guy, by the way, had a kidney stone. Yeah. Actually, I mean, he, that, yeah, he was in the hospital the entire day trying to pass it, couldn't pass it. He, he still ends up coaching the
0: game. It's his first time ever in his debut. So he's like, I'm not going to miss this. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think a defensive dude setting a tone for his team. Like defensive dudes are the tough guys, right? Right.
1: And so I'm I'm sitting there thinking to myself, this guy's trying to pass a kid. He's still on the sideline while he's coaching the game. Um, It shows you how much it means to him, how tough he is. But it also gives me a sense of like, this guy's old school. Like, that's something you hear,
0: like, your grandpa did. Yeah. Right? Your grandpa's like, yeah, I
1: remember a couple times I had a kidney stone. And I just kept on yeah. with my day. Right? Walking
0: my 20 miles to school in the <laughs> snow, no shoes. <laughs> right. Right. So,
1: uh, so his comments about him, you know, kind of taking a dig at him, which, especially in this climate, and, and you know this because, because you're, you coach and you, and you got sons who play, you know, they can tend to be a little more fragile sure. with some of the criticism. And so I was curious to see what he was going to say after the outing because it wasn't a great outing for him. Yeah. And he, he, he had the quote and saying like he wasn't surprised by it. And, and and then he continued to follow up by just saying it's kind of what he thought he'd see. He's a young quarterback. He's still trying to learn. Um, but it, it, it's going to be interesting to monitor this throughout the course of it because let's not forget that's, that's the first preseason game. They have five by the fifth one, fifth and final one, Drew Locke could be playing some really good football where you feel like he's made those big jumps.
0: Let's say Drew Locke is hypothetically playing really good football. Uh, obviously, you traded for Joe Flacco uh, to bring him in. You have to imagine they think there's some tread left on the tire. Yeah. Like, what, what say you about Joe Flacco, uh, the way that, that, that passing uh, uh, offense can look this year? And is there a point this season... Um, where you could see Case Keenum, if he's ready, uh, pushing Joe Flacco and, and taking the well, it.
1: It'd be Drew Locke, but, you know, it, I mean, 14 slip, but yeah. So I, I honestly don't know from what I'm seeing right now, what I'm hearing. Yeah. There's going to be any of that at any point this season. And, and the reason why I say that is I think one Vic Fangio doesn't want to. Okay. He's a defensive minded guy, first time head coach. I think he wants to win and be competitive. And a lot of defensive minded guys don't want to put a rookie in there because they don't look at the long term. They just say, that They look at the short term and they say, well, what happened that last series? We threw an interception. And they're not thinking, well, he's going to learn from that and get better and he'll be better in the future. They're just like, no, 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 no. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want a guy throwing a pick, putting my defense in a bad spot. I, I, I don't want a guy going in there who doesn't know the checks, doesn't know the audibles, or we can't do everything we can do with Joe Flacco. So I think Joe would have to play bad or would have to get injured, okay. and, in which he's had a little bit of an injury um history now the past few years. But this is a really unproven offense. Um Their offensive line needs to drastically improve they got to have a running game in order to be successful and emmanuel sanders coming off an injury Corlin sutton you know had a good year last year but he's largely improving to some degree so uh, i just i i think it's it's going to be a tough year for the denver broncos in my opinion i think if you're looking at that division oakland will be somewhere in their you know category two but then it's like casey and the chargers are so much better right
0: um than, than both those teams right now in the afc west Let's move over to the NFC South, right? The other participant in the game, the Falcons. Um, Matt Ryan and company, you know, struggled a bit last year, a lot of injuries. Um, yeah. Now you're dealing with a little a possible scenario with Julio Jones, wants an extension. Uh, do you think the Falcons can bounce back? You think last year was an anomaly, too many injuries. Uh, NFC South, obviously, you have, you know, the Saints, uh, people predicting the Panthers might be better this year. Where do you see, see them kind of stacking up in the division? And then what do you think that Julio Jones situation plays out like?
1: Yeah, so as far as the Falcons, like they're kind of my team that I think I'm going to pick to win the division this yeah. year. Once that time comes, and reason being is one, Matt Ryan's still playing incredible football, I and mean, you can see the numbers right there how close they were mimicked his MVP season. But people kind of forgot about him because they were a 7-9 football team. He kept them in a lot of games. He kept them competitive last year. And, and he did that all while not necessarily having the greatest protection. And that's right. one of the reasons why this offseason they brought in four free agents. They drafted two of their first-round picks Where offensive lineman. Chris Lindstrom is going to be a right guard. Probably Caleb McGarry at some point a right tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, so they invested into Matt Ryan and in this offense to continue their strides. And it's another reason why they also made sweeping changes. You know, Dan Quinn's now taken over the defense. Uh, who's also going to be their head coach because he wants to get more out of the defense, in particular the pass rushers. Right. That's his specialist. They bring back Dirk Cutter for a reunion with Matt Ryan. Um, he, he was formerly with the Atlanta Falcons. Um, spent some time away, obviously, as a head coach there in Tampa. Um, but, but they, they, well, they want to try to maximize Matt Ryan at this point in time in his career and bring in a guy who's familiar so he doesn't have to deal with another change in, in offensive philosophy or offensive terminology. So, To me, I think this roster is talented enough when healthy. They could compete with anyone in the NFL. It's just about in kind of a little bit of a make or break year. Yeah. Like they've got to make it happen and they've got to do it in a really, really tough division, the NFC South.
0: Um, how big of a hiccup or how big of a distraction does Julio Jones become, uh, if this thing lingers and they don't figure out a way to get a deal done?
1: I don't, I don't think that he's going to be a distraction because he already showed up. Right. You know, like, for, for guys who are distractions right now, the Melvin Gordons for the Chargers or Zeke Elliott's for the Cowboys, right? Yep. I mean, that's more of a distraction because their coaches, the team, those guys have to answer to why they're not in camp or talk about that every single day. Um, for Julio Jones, he's there. And and I think there's an understanding that if he showed up, Arthur Blank was going to honor his word and say, yeah, we're going to go ahead and pay you. We're going to, we're going to give you an extension. And, and he should. He, look, he's, he's one of the top two, three wide receivers, however you want to cut it in the NFL. There's no doubt about it. I think your only concern is when you look at the Michael Thomas deal for the New Orleans Saints. Michael Thomas has only been in the league three years. He's much younger. Correct. So has much, you know, that has a little more tread on the tires, if you will, from your analogy earlier. So w- with Julio Jones, it's probably going to be a contract that's structured where first two years probably of, of guarantees, and then after that, it's like a all right, well, let's 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 see where you're at. But probably a four or five year extension makes sense, yep. including this this upcoming year, and. You could imagine he's gonna get what is legitimately an average annual salary of twenty million per year. Where really, when you break down the Michael Thomas deal and you look at that back end, the like the last about three and a half, three and three quarters million he's got to earn, mm-hmm. they're all incentivated, and it's in the latter portions of his contract where Drew Brees is probably gonna be his quarterback. So to get you know over a hundred receptions and twelve touchdowns and fourteen hundred yards and to the playoffs, all those things he's got to hit to get it. It's it's probably going to be unlikely. So because of that, I think you may see a contract that is a little bit shorter, but averages out to be higher than what Michael Thomas got. I think that's one of the reasons too why Julio Jones was a little bit more patient yeah. about getting his deal done because he didn't want to get leapfrog. Yeah, Michael let
0: Thomas. that market get set and then figure right. out yeah how to how to capitalize on that. All right. So you talked you you introduced Melvin Gordon right? Distraction yeah. Ezekiel uh, distraction reports come out um, that Melvin Gordon's agent he told Justina Anderson that that they had asked for a trade um, and that the Chargers had actually. Denied the request uh, for the trade. How oh. big of a distraction is that? And and where do we go from here? Like what? Like <laughs> do we get a deal? Can we work this out? Are we still family? Once I've asked to be let go, and you've told me no. Under no circumstances can. Are you are you making that happen for
1: me? Yeah. It sounds like the the request for the trade, um, or at least to talk to other teams, yeah. is what they talked about to facilitate a trade was denied, and that was after they offered him. A deal that would was structured to give him ten million a year. Right. Which when you look at where that would stack up amongst the other running backs in the NFL, put him fourth, and I gotta be honest with you, I, I think that's that's a pretty good deal for him. Yeah,
0: he's not one of the I mean he's not a, no, a top three I, four I personally back would, in the league. I
1: personally wouldn't put him in that top five.
0: Right. And and so because of that, I look
1: at him like maybe you should take it or maybe you should say, Hey, throw, you know, a little whipped cream cherry on the top. Yeah, let's work it out. And, yeah, and then I'll work it out. You know, them asking to facilitate a trade, I think, is interesting only because I don't know what team is going to trade for him and then want to sign him to this big big deal that he's looking for. It just right. doesn't seem like it's something that teams want to do. They'd rather wait till next year's draft and then draft one and, and not have to spend as much money under the cap for a running back. So, um, you know, maybe there's a, there's two, one or two suitors out there. I don't know. Either way, it's not going to matter. The Chargers have all the leverage. Um, they've got a stable of running backs they like behind them. Man, yeah. talked about liking Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson behind them, even though they haven't played as much. So, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this works out because if, if he really wants to be stubborn about it, he could miss the whole season if he wants. Right.
0: Um, but I, does that I, does that derail the Chargers' chance? Is is obviously I want to talk to you about the 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 Dak and Ezekiel yeah. uh, thing in Dallas just briefly. I know it's not on the rundown, but you know similar situation in that you have a team that you think can make a run. Obviously, you have a much better, more established quarterback there. Um, can they make the same kind of run without Melvin Gordon? Is that a plug and play position? Um, in San Diego because you have Phillip Rivers?
1: Uh, to me, it obviously hurts their chances to some degree right. because you get a little bit of a drop-off, even though the stats would show you um, when when Melvin Gordon was out. Again, Eckler played pretty darn well in his place. So that was a small sample size, so I don't want to read into that too much. I, I just think to your point when you talk about established quarterback and Phillip Rivers, like this team's been built around Phillip Rivers. Right. It's not built around the running back position. You look at his pass attempts, you look at how they you know, really distribute the football. You know, Melvin Gordon's a piece of the passing game, but he's not the type of guy who's going to be able to like line up outside and you're looking at him third down saying, this is our best matchup. Right. Where like Alvin Kamara, for example, with the Saints, where you want to release him outside from the backfield or you want to put him out there as a wide receiver and let him match up against someone, uh, not the same type of player. And so for that reason, I think it hurts their chances slightly um and and i don't think it's a distraction either like this this no you know there's a misnomer that you know players are so concerned about and that's all they're thinking like no they're not Eckler, jackson whoever else is on the roster to running back they're like let's go yeah my my turn like i'm watching melvin gordon hit the same holes that i would have hit or i maybe that maybe i feel like i could have had a bigger run off that so um, those guys don't care, and, and and the other guys that are on the team, I'm sure they'd like to have him back. They miss their teammate and all that, and they know he's talented. But at the end of the day, if it, it, it's business, so yeah. they understand why he's missing time. But I, I think it hurts it slightly, to be honest. Not the same way if you're talking about Zeke Elliott, who could potentially hold out the whole year.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Zeke, Dak, um, and Amari Cooper, right? Like you got to somehow Zeke has got himself at the top of the list in terms of like who's gonna eat first. Um, Jerry Jones, Jerry well, Jones' son. They've let, been. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Go ahead. You've been in the front
1: office. Yeah. So you've got two guys, right? One that you feel like is, is playing a very pivotal or cornerstone like position, like quarterback. Right. And then you, and and both those guys are on, have one year left. And then you've got one guy's got two years left, but he, but, but you know, he's the best of all of them. Yeah. Most proven of all of them. Maybe the best at his position in the league. You can at least make an argument. Yep. Do you, do you look at them the same? Do you look at them differently? How would you go about being a front office executive handling it?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I, for me, with, with football, I would take care of my quarterback situation first, and I would hope that I could take care of it um not asking him to take the hometown discount and that's a whole nother. that's like a sidebar in this conversation like I feel like Dallas is posturing through the media yeah. for for its players to feel like playing for the star uh it, it, it has some value uh, that they should take a discount on their contracts like I wouldn't ask him to do that if I was in the front office but I I'd, I'd see if we could get to a reasonable place with Dak like look dude we respect everything you did uh everything you've done your your potential you know uh as a future starter in the NFL i not going to like set the market with your contract here, but we're going to have you like slotted right where you should be and then I would try to take care of Dak uh and figure that out however I could. But I would want to lock down that quarterback position first dude because every every time that 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 Zeke lines up out there yeah. and every year that you give him X amount of carries and he leads the league, I mean, you're just, you're just devaluing him, right? Like, like right. there's just miles going on the odometer that you don't get back, especially at the running back position. So, I mean, I never walked worked in a NFL front office, but I would try to get my quarterback situation straight.
1: So usually I'd hundred percent agree. And, and I do to some degree, like I think there should be an offer to Dak that again, isn't trying to compete with the Russell Wilson's, um, the the Aaron Rodgers of right. the world, but but competitive with Carson Wentz because that is who he competes with right. in the division, and I think he's proven himself over the course of his time in Dallas more so than Carson Wentz. But I think because of the leverage that Zeke has and knowing how important he is, which yeah. whether or not you want to argue that the Dallas Cowboys has built this team around their running game and Zeke, you know it, it's it's the truth. You can't argue the fact that's what they are. And so because of that, he's got some leverage. Yeah. And 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 I think Dax already showed up. Amari Cooper's already showed up. And so those guys aren't going to throw a tantrum or a fit, right? Like, they're not going to all of a sudden say, you know what? I'm uh, going to step back and hold
0: out. So, for like, I thought we were operating in a vacuum, right? You're asking me, like, how do you attack getting those guys signed? Yeah. In this scenario, where you are now, you're absolutely correct. Like, two guys are going to be, like, good soldiers about it. I'm going out and trying to <laughs> lock them. Yeah, absolutely. You have to deal with the headache. Absolutely. And, yeah.
1: and, and I think what you can end up doing is, look, if if Dak wants to try to say, like, oh, well, we're not going to offer any deal after this year because he's going to be a free agent after this year, you say, all right. Franchise tag. Yeah. Because to be honest with you, like, we're not that sure either. Because if they were, the deal would already be done right now. That's true. Right? Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. If they were sure about Dak Prescott, there would be no hesitation. His deal would have already gotten done the second Carson Wentz's deal got done. Right. And they would have been moving on to Zeke and Amari Cooper and other pieces, right? So clearly there's some questions. And so because of that, I think even though it's going to cost you more in the end, especially if Dak does what you're hoping he will do. Yeah. I think maybe the franchise tag is more in play for him. You get a deal done for Zeke this year. You know, the, Amari Cooper may end up being a casualty of it, but at least you get to see what Dak is with him this year, and then you can figure out how wh- what, what you want to do. Either it's an offer for Dak that's going to blow him out of the water that makes him want to stay in Dallas, not test free agency. Yep. Or you're gonna you're or you're gonna lose one, and I think you'd rather lose Amari Cooper than lose Dak Prescott in that scenario. So you'd franchise tag him, see if you could work out a deal with Amari. If not, so be it. Let him go. Um, but. You know, that's one in which I think it, it may be more expensive in the long run, but you're talking about a decision that's going to be largely made because Dak was so successful that you're like, yeah, now we've got to sign him to a long-term deal. Great. It's a good problem to have. Correct. So even though it becomes more expensive, I think they can do it. This year, they're, they're like eighth most cap, most cap space in the NFL right now, so they can figure out a way of making it work.
0: How long do you... Posture, if you're if you're Dallas or if you're Zeke, like how long do you are you willing to let this linger when you have a team uh, that is favored to win the division and and you think this is the time to strike while the iron's hot? Like how 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 long does this go before you're like, all right, it's an unsalvageable season.
1: Yeah, so there was some, like, misinformation out there because everyone kept saying, oh, August 6th, you know, Zeke has to report by August 6th, otherwise this this season won't count. It'll push back a year for him to be able to, like, get closer to free agency. It's not true. Um, Dallas already picked up his fifth-year option, so because of that now, uh, he could technically sit out this entire year and it would still count. Mm -hmm. So... Um, that was out there for a little bit. That was wrong. Um, and so I think because of that now, Dallas is kind of looking at it thinking, all right, maybe we need to come to the table a little bit sooner than we thought. I think we all know that Z- Zeke's going to be in good shape. Um, he did this the last time he missed six games. Um, he went down to Cabo and trained. His agent's got a place down there. That's probably what he's going to do this time or is doing right now. Um, so I think they'll let this go into camp a decent amount. But once you start sniffing week one, just because how competitive that NFC East division is going to be with Philly. Yeah. I think the NFC in general, I just, I don't think you can afford to to play around anymore. I think you give your best final offer if he doesn't want to accept it and then he wants to sit out. So be it. And, and, and you have to deal with what you have, you know, left on the roster. And maybe you take care of Dak and Amari knowing that you may not ever really get to, to take care of Zeke the way he wants to be taken
0: care of. All right. Well, you heard it from Brady Quinn here first. Uh, we're going to take a break and coming up after that, we'll get to that, uh, NBA talk a little bit. We'll talk some college football, uh, break down the first top 25 release yesterday. All that up next on Canel and Bell. yo. All right. So we teased this deep tease, uh, off the top. We're- <laughs> What we're going to do now is just flip the script. I'm going to hand it over to you. You got the rundown. This is NBA talk, um, driven by Brady Quinn.
1: There you go. Uh, perfect uh, introduction to this segment. So David Griffin opens up about the Cavs, right? That, that's kind of the title. And yeah, he he did an interview that was published by Sports Illustrated, and he talked about how stressful it was building a title contender. It was too stressful for too him. stressful. Like he couldn't wait to get away from Cleveland.
0: After that championship
1: yeah. season, he talks about breaking down and crying, not tears of joy,
0: tears of relief. You yeah. were there. I was there. Um, there. I know. Uh, so was it that bad? All right. Let, let it, yes and no. All right. Let me unpack it. Just for, first of all, when this came out and I saw that Griff had said this and I'm, I'm close with Griff. I texted with Griff, uh, the other day with, with, you know, uh, my kids were up at an AAU tournament and we were texting. I didn't see this. I thought he, and LeBron's camp were on really, really solid footing. Um, I knew there were some frustrations, but I didn't know it was to this degree. Now, full disclosure: Griff had some health scares a few few years back, okay. um, and you know, all of that factors into like the, the stressful environment that you work into, and whether or not it, 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 it it's it's you know, health. Um, uh, like their health implications the health or yeah right or if it's if it's or maybe it's too, too stressful a job and you and you, you know and you're, you're worried about look man you know i i don't i don't know that i need to be doing this now i just had the scare like life's too life's it's too important to, to enjoy myself you know what i mean all of those things factored in but what i can say about specifically cleveland is when you're building a team uh and when we were building the team around lebron there are a lot of extra checks that you have to go through that you wouldn't ordinarily go through in terms of like you would usually run something up the flagpole if you're david griffin and the only person you really answer to is your your Dan dan gilbert you would you would go right to dan gilbert and be like look here's what brady raja um and koka and i decided were the best thing uh was the best thing for our team? Will you sign off on it? Boom, give me that. All right, I'm going to make the call. Well, when you're dealing with LeBron's people, you got to check with LeBron, right? And then you, you know, you're probably going to have to have a couple extra conversations and, and with and by LeBron's the way, agent.
1: You've explained to me before, like, it's not just like you walk up and talk to LeBron about it. Like, you've got to talk to someone who talks to somebody who then talks to LeBron. Correct. And then it goes back around the circle to get back to you, right? Yeah, you're
0: essentially playing the phone game, right? Yeah. And then and you're waiting and, and, you know, you've got to worry about, and i don't i don't i got to be careful cuz i don't want to paint lebron in this terrible light lebron has earned the right to have a say all the greats do like mj if you were going to partner somebody with mj You should ask MJ whether he thinks he could play with that guy. If you were going to ask if if I'm going to sign Kevin Love and Kobe is the focal point of your team, you should ask Kobe whether he can envision a scenario where he can thrive with Kevin Love. And so that's what happens with LeBron. But, you know, in the process, there are a lot of extra checks and a lot of extra phone calls that have to be made, you know when lebron comes to your town because there's this security um team that rolls with him you've got to change now um you know the way you're the bowels of your arena are structured so when we were there and this is I support all of this because again Lebr- LeBron operates in a world where he has to be concerned with personal security and he has to be concerned with his family and his, and right, his, his children's security so like for instance if we come out of our locker room in Cleveland and there is a hallway directly to the court right like families usually can traverse that hallway they can use it too as can the players and the teams that are flowing through it well when LeBron comes like that hallway shut down to, to players families like no families can get through that hallway. They've got to walk all the way around and come through this side. It's a it's a safety concern with LeBron. But when you start taking all of those little things that have to change within your organization, even, you know, game day routines and so on and so forth to accommodate LeBron, it just adds to the stress of a situation. Do you know what I mean?
1: I, I can definitely get that. I understand that. Um and and so that makes sense to me as yeah. part as part of those little things that I'm sure he was dealing with. I, I guess and maybe this is cause I come from a football background, played basketball, not uh, and anywhere to the level like like you have, but some part of me feels like if you're that great, and he's one of the greatest of all time, there's there's yeah. no arguments well, made. Top two, top three, whatever you want to say. I, I still feel like MJ's up there for me, <clears throat> but right there, and then in the next tier in conversation. But if you're that great of a player, I, I know you may want to go buy them and ask their permission. But at what point too does he have to trust you? David Griffin, Dan Gilbert, everyone else who's there. Yeah. Much like I assume Michael Jordan did with Phil Jackson or Kobe did with Phil Jackson that you're going to do your job. Yep. And if I focus on doing my job, be the best me I can be, I'm unstoppable because I'm one of the greatest this game has ever seen. Sure why isn't that more of the thought process there like why does why does he need to really check off on it like isn't he good enough he should be able to play with anyone
0: yeah i think it's twofold i think it's uh you you alluded to in our, in our uh prior block uh the the change in the way you you handle players now like uh and some of the you know insecurities or some you know sometimes we're dealing with guys with kids gloves a little bit more than we did you know in the older generation right so i think it's a generational thing where players have way more control in the NBA than they ever had like way more Leverage, and they're learning how to like use that. So, to some degree, it's that. And then the second part of that is those relationships with like MJ ownership, um, Phil Jackson. Th- th- that that trust was earned over a course of time, right? Like they were together for a long time. LeBron's bouncing kind of from team to team in three year windows, you know. And so you don't really have time to develop that true trust if you're LeBron in Griff's ability to get you what you need at, 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 at all times and no matter what the cost. I think having been there for that year, that trust was starting to develop. That's why I said I was surprised when this came out because I thought he was really starting to understand that Griff had his back. And Griff was going to do whatever he needed to do um, because I can tell you unequivocally who LeBron doesn't trust. It's Dan Gilbert, right? So th- the way that whole Even thing shook out. Even the guy out, who pays him all the money and well, that same guy that wrote the letter um, about him when he when he left to go to Miami, right? He also left to go to Miami. Those will <laughs> not mean, I no, but I mean, you're Cleveland, a Cleveland guy. You know, Cleveland guy. Like, <laughs> like, oh, you're hurt because forgot who dude, I was you also talking to. Television inaccurate. Yeah, it was for charity. We get it, but you left. No, but so what I'm saying, whether it's right or wrong, yeah. he does not trust dan gilbert okay. um and so you know griff's job was to kind of get his camp to understand like look i am a dan gilbert employee but i but i am trying to make this like a championship team i i this isn't just dan's vision to some degree it's my vision and your vision and because our visions will align and we'll win a championship dan will reap the benefits of it but don't be uh, don't be fooled to think that i am just dan's puppet in this and that 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 you can't trust me right I and i think they started to develop uh that relationship but to your original point those are relationships like you, know, you develop trust over a period of time. That's not something that you drop two people in a room. You look at each other and say, yeah, I trust you. I trust you. And I don't think that they necessarily had the time for that to to, to meld all the way together. It was starting to develop. The trust was coming along. But ultimately, like they weren't together long enough.
1: Was David Griffin there with LeBron the first time before he left no, and came back? He was
0: with us in Phoenix. Um, and he was there the year before or two years before LeBron got there, at least yeah. a year and a half um because i'd be curious to see like how he changed right because you know he
1: he gets drafted into the cleveland cavaliers yeah you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. he goes to miami he learns how to how to win championships and and you see this guy and pat riley who's incredibly successful and, and dwayne wade who'd won one before he got there they kind of show you the way then he goes back to cleveland and obviously wins one and, and i'm sure he had a different perspective at that point Um, uh, before i move on to something that david griffin said there, there's a couple of good quotes um what was the most difficult part about building that that team to be a championship team? What was the single most difficult thing about it?
0: Uh, the ma- Making sure that those personalities worked. Uh, we had a lot of personality in the building with LeBron, um, Kevin Levin. This is just purely on the court. Like the, the most difficult part of building a team like that, and the LeBrons of the world sometimes don't have respect for it, is what accruing all this talent right now does to the future of your franchise right um when you just become strapped with no draft picks because you've had to you know mortgage them all to get what you want now and you're in cap hell in three years and and everybody's a little older you can't reshuffle the decks because there's no flexibility that is the most difficult part but for me because i dealt with the team most of the time like i was david griffin's proxy on the road and he didn't travel so i was the guy you know sitting there having these conversations with lebron like hey man I need you to get these guys to play hard for for David Blatt. We're not sure if he's a a good enough coach. Like, but if you don't play hard for him, we don't know. Right. Like, the hardest part was getting LeBron, Kevin Love, and Kyrie to like love one another, like and trust one another. Everybody um, love everybody. Yeah, and From because a great movie. Correct. So if you can, it, it, that took time, and I don't think they ultimately got there yeah. until you, until year two. You know okay so David Griffin says there wasn't a lot else for
1: him I don't think he's the same animal anymore about winning and he's just kind of talking about the decision to leave Cleveland to go to the Lakers and and maybe what embodied that decision right? yeah that's that's where that quote comes from um, obviously outside looking in I mean w- what do you see from him at this point I mean do you feel like the you know that decision in itself, told you a little bit about where LeBron's back, or did this past offseason kind of change the way, maybe even the past year, change yeah. maybe even that quote from David Griffin?
0: No, I so I think there's something to what Griff is saying. I, I, can, I can say that and not completely agree with him, um, but let me reference the conversation I had with him about David Blatt, right? Um, you know, I had always maintained that, like, his legacy was going to be you know, and I had this conversation with LeBron. Uh, you know, they weren't playing hard for David Blatt. David Griffin said we had to fire probably David Blatt. I was a David Blatt fan. So, you know, at, at, at UCLA after a shoot-around, I grabbed LeBron and I'm like, look, man, um, you don't really trust David Blatt, do you? And he's like, no. I said, well, all right, here's the deal. In fairness, we understand where you're coming from, but we don't know because you guys won't play hard for him. Your legacy, in my opinion, is always going to be whether or not you bring a championship to Northeast Ohio. Like all that you did in, in, in Miami is great. I was like, but your legacy, right, is going to be whether you ultimately get that championship back home to the city of Cleveland and to Akron. And so I believe, um, and I will always believe that in his mind, like that was the ultimate achievement was bringing that championship back. And I do think there is a human, you know, element of relaxation and of, uh, uh of satisfaction that naturally brings like your intensity level down a notch once you do that, you right. know? And so I can say that Griff is right in that regard. I don't believe that he's distracted to the degree where he can't win more championships. Um, But I think like when you have kids and priorities change a little bit, you're not the same animal on the quest and the thirst for that ultimate holy grail of a championship that you were before you got it, let alone before you got three and you got one back to Cleveland, Ohio.
1: Yeah, you could make the case that when he went back to Cleveland, like his back was against the wall. Like he came back for one thing and one thing only. That's right. And it was to bring a championship. And if he didn't, to your point, That would be part of the legacy that he couldn't do that. Maybe arguably the greatest of all time or one of the greatest couldn't figure out a way of doing that in Cleveland, but he did. So we don't have to really talk about that now. Are you surprised though that there was a quote basically saying that they reached out to James Camp who was shocked to see Griffin's comments? Is that why you're kind of saying, Hey, I thought they're on the same page too. I thought they had a much better
0: relationship. I really, I really did. And what I, I thought, you know, um, that LeBron wanted Griff back in Cleveland. Uh, I, I knew that Griff didn't want to necessarily, um, stay in Cleveland if everything wasn't going to be the way he kind of wanted it to be. If he, if he didn't have the support of ownership to trust him to do his job and so on and so forth. But, you know, I think if I'm reading between the tea, like between the lines and, or tea leaves, what have you, um, cause I don't have this sourced from Griff. Right. But I, I, I think you're dealing with the same camp again. When that Anthony Davis thing, uh, happens in New Orleans, right? Cause those are LeBron's people, Rich Paul and company, right? And maybe something with, with, with that, um, negotiation got sideways. And, and, and that's the only thing I could think of because is that where you think maybe David Griffins, you know,
1: maybe has that perspective for LeBron, maybe not being on because obviously this was talked about last year trying to get rid of before the trade deadline. A lot of players that they ended up getting rid of this past offseason. Yeah. And because David Griffin's in New Orleans now, I mean, maybe that, that discussion that happened around the time of the interview and all that, you know, maybe, you know, those conversations had already taken place. And he was like, yeah, it doesn't sound like he's really in it the same way he was in Cleveland. Do you think that's where it stems from somehow with the yeah. transactions?
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it was a transaction necessarily, but I do think that, that having, having to go through another business negotiation with Rich Paul and Clutch Sports and LeBron's camp. Uh, probably had more, had something to do with these quotes. M- more to do with these quotes than, than, um, than that actual Cleveland relationship. Cause I really do believe, and I asked him this when he left, he, he and Le- LeBron and them were on good terms. It, it was not a, a situation where, you know, people were pissed at each other. I think LeBron really wanted him to stay in Cleveland. And I do believe that their relationship and the trust in that relationship had grown. Something has happened since then, or Griff has just sat back. Really reflected in his couple years off, and 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 maybe said, "Hey, look, winning a championship was great, but you know maybe it's not worth it if if you know if, if the headache is what it was." So I I don't really have a, a great answer for that, but very interesting quotes from David Griffin at a time where you know you don't really need to have like any kind of ways, right? Basketball season's <laughs> over, right? Just say like Griff, keep off, it moving, bro. Off season's you, over. You don't want to be You're beefing good. with LeBron necessarily. There 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 are a lot more people. There. Here's what I have learned. If you're gonna beef with LeBron in the NBA, like you're gonna be beefing with a lot of people because he holds a lot of weight. Um, and and so Griff, rightfully so. Good luck this year, man. Let's take another break. We got a little long winded on that, but um, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit of NCAA football. Yeah. Top twenty-five came out, and we'll chop up some other stuff. All up next on uh, Canell and Bell. Welcome back. Um, all right, we teased it. Let's talk about college football. Um, the first polls came out. You've got uh, Clemson at the top, Bama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, LSU. Uh, your, your usual programs. Um, I guess let's start here because it's the easiest place to start. Is it Clemson and Bama again for another national championship?
1: Uh, most likely. Yeah. I mean, I, I really think if you, if you look at the way they've recruited, if you look at what Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney have built, um, that's – more likely than not that those two teams are, without a doubt, going to be in the playoff. Yeah. And part of the reason why I say that is because Alabama, if you look at their schedule, for example, um, they have buys before their biggest games, with the exception of Auburn, which they play an FCS opponent before. Uh, so right, right. when you look at their schedule, it stacks up really well, really easily for them. right? And, and, and another interesting thing about the SEC West, which is the division they play in, there's only two teams who've got returning quarterbacks right in that division. The rest all have quarterback battles going on. So it's like that could be a filling out process throughout the course of the year, and, and so we'll see what they're what they're capable of doing. But as you look at their schedule, for example, talked about some of the buys. They've got to buy before LSU. Probably their toughest stretch is that November 9th to November sixteenth, where they've got to go. You know, they got to play LSU, but again, two weeks to prepare, and then they then they're going to have to go and play at Mississippi State. Starkville is a tough place to play. Like I talked about the West Carolina before you play in the yeah. Apple. I mean, come on, man. So they got to buy their The other tough, tough road test is uh, College Station taking on NM, which they've got a tough schedule this year. We'll see how they are. Um, and and Kelamon's one of those returning quarterbacks, one of the few there in the SEC West. But it's, it's an easier path, an easier road for this team and they may have the most star studded wide receiver group. They've got the returning Blitnikoff and Jerry Judy right. and a slew of other guys to throw to defensively. They have to replace some pieces offensive line too, but they've got two back, um, I think the toughest thing for Alabama is going to be their transition with all the coaches who've.
0: That's what left. I was just going to ask you. Yeah, the turnover, is that it, at some point, does that catch up? I think it could be. I mean,
1: Steve Sarkeesian comes back as their OC. He's been there before, yeah. so there's some comfort there. I think one, in, in knowing what to expect from him, but also in Sarkeesian knowing what to expect. Like, I think sometimes a lot of coaches go there, they put in their year or two, and they're like, okay, yeah. well, I'm done coaching right, for right, Nick Saban. Right. I want to move on. <laughs> Um, and so I think some of that turnover, you know, usually it's tough. He's familiar, so that shouldn't be that bad. Clemson, look. Bottom line is we just saw a graphic a second ago about the ACC. There's only two teams ranked in the top 25, the college, you know, coaches poll. It, it's a terrible conference right now. Outs- outside of Clemson, easy. Bro. I mean, look at
0: that, easy, bro. It's easy, bro. look, easy, bro.
1: I know you're gonna get offended when I say it. Yes. it's in a bad spot right now. Now, I'm not saying that they can't be upset. Yeah, no, I hear you. But it, it's it's another it's another team that when you look at their schedule and the way it stacks up and you look at how bad the ACC is outside of Clemson, who's by far and away one of the best teams in the country, there's not a lot of parity, you know. So if you're looking at the schedule, like yeah, Texas A&M's going to be tough, but you know, again, um, they've got them coming to their house, right? Um, and and then you look down the rest of the schedule. Who knows what Florida State's going to be at this point in time? Um, I, I I don't see many roadblocks. I mean, who honestly do you feel like in that group? is going to have a chance at, at beating Clemson. You could say at Syracuse, okay, yeah. maybe, but Eric Dungy moved on, right? That was the quarterback last year. He was somewhat of an electric player. I think Dino Babers has done a good job, but I, I don't see anyone really slowing them up on this schedule. So because of that, they're probably playing the ACC championship, and there's no one coming out of the other side. Uh, the I was
0: going to say, dude, there are some people that think that Miami in the ACC championship game could be a hurdle for Clemson. I'm not going to say any names, but there are people on record as saying that could be a real potential hurdle.
1: Okay, all right. and, and here's what I'd say to those people is, and I'm going to go watch them in training camp. They need to
0: figure out their quarterback. Or are, are you going down to watch training camp? I'm watch Dude, training let me ride with you. Okay, all right, bet. Um, let's wait. Let's move to Big Ten because Big Ten has seven in the top twenty. Most, yeah, the most. It's the best conference, is it? People, people don't want to say that anymore because yeah. they've got an SEC biased. Right. Go back through the bowl
1: seasons and all that. Like I know the SEC sends the most talent to the NFL, but as far as college football goes. It's the most competitive division. No one wants to play in the Big Ten East right now, as far as the you know the coaches too that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, in my opinion, it's the best conference, not by a large margin,
0: but but it's close between the SEC and Big Ten. I think right now Big Ten has the edge. Well, uh, or tell me where you are in Jim Harbaugh because he's always an interesting one for me, and I'm I'm getting off script now, but he's always interesting because I I mean obviously his his teams are really good and he's a great football coach, um, but hasn't really delivered on 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 what you expected for him to l- deliver when he when he went back to Michigan. You talked about legacy with LeBron. Yeah. If Jim Harbaugh doesn't beat Ohio State this year,
1: I don't know when he will. Right. I mean, think about right, your transition from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. So there's going to be some bumps along the way and how that all works out. You've got new DCs, new defensive coordinators. You've got you know an offense that is largely going to be the same because of Ryan Day, but they bring in Mike Yurcich, which he's a phenomenal coach. He'll be great with Justin Fields. Uh, but but he's a first-time starter quarterback too. So there's all these transitional pieces and you look at Michigan. They're, they're, they've they're they got an, an offense and a defense who've got returning starters on both sides. Yeah. Shea Patterson's returning a quarterback. The biggest question mark is Josh Gattis, their play caller. He doesn't have much experience calling plays, but he's going to run more of an up-tempo offense. People are pretty high on him. So it should be a good fit for what Shea Patterson does. Um, the biggest question is, like, can Harbaugh step out of the way? Yeah. I mean, in, in all honesty... like No, but what, that's a, it's a real thing sometimes. With, if with... the offense doesn't get off to a good start, if he gets frustrated, and if he steps in and tries to take over... And it doesn't allow this thing to really develop. Then all of a sudden, what are you when you're hosting Ohio State at the end of the season? Like, are you as good as you can be or you need to be in order to beat Ohio State? So to me, this is the year where I think it helps him start to create that legacy because he's been successful. I think people have been down on him because Urban Meyer went 4 0 against him. He's what, 0 7 or whatever, or Michigan's 0 7 the last seven attempts yeah. versus Ohio State. I think for those reasons, He's he's now going to win. He's got to win now and he's got to make Michigan relevant again and getting to the college football playoff. That's going to be the biggest thing.
0: I want to ask you real quick cuz we're supposed to go to break, but I I am fascinated with Oklahoma uh, and obviously Jalen Hurts transferring in and you you're talking about a quarterback who, you know, he's got a whole a whole lot of good qualities about him um great leader you know he's won a lot of games but definitely not cut from the same mold as the no. last two quarterbacks no. in norman well uh talk about what they're going to look like and what kind of job they're going to have to do like structuring that offense or restructuring uh probably that offense around uh, starts a Starts star set of wide receivers on the outside to help him out. it yeah. starts
1: there the offensive line huge transitional year because they had four guys drafted so because of that like that would be a little bit of a concern of mine yeah but you know, good running back stable too, tight ends too. I mean, literally, skill position, they're set. I think part of that question to answer is, is what, how good is the offensive line going to be? Um, <clears throat> because if they struggle, it actually fits in his wheelhouse. He's a good scrambler. He's good running oh, the football. Yeah. So, And, and then they can move the pocket with him. So that actually might fall into line with what they want to do anyway. Mm-hmm. But there's also been this progression from Baker to Kyler to Jalen Hurts. You're going down from like a true pocket passer, yeah, to a guy who can pay from the pocket, but also is electric outside of it. Now to a guy who's probably best outside of it, but is growing and getting better. And I think with what Lincoln Riley's done the past two years with both Murray and, May- and, and, and Baker Mayfield, I, I do think that he is equipped to handle this and help this kid be a Heisman contender. And these defenses he's going up against yeah. in the Big Twelve are going to be easier than what he was seeing back when he's playing for Alabama in the SEC. It's that's just the truth. So. I'm 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 very bullish on Oklahoma. I think they're going to compete for the division, and they'll be one of those teams we're talking about with, the, with challenging for a, a spot for the college football playoff.
0: That's what's up. I actually hope Jalen uh, does well out there, and I, I agree with you. Lincoln Riley's kind of transitioned already, right? Like you've already seen. Yeah, the- it's, the- it's like there. it's so subtly started yeah. to happen as it is. Very cool. All right, let's go to break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit Trent Williams uh, and Ryan Khalil coming out of retirement, and then we'll wrap things up uh, on Kennell and Bell. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. Um, let's wrap it up. Let's talk a little bit of, of Redskins and the Trent Williams situation. Um, you know, obviously he was a little upset with the way his medical was handled there yeah. with a benign tumor uh, that, that was on his head, and you know, has requested a trade. And for a while, you thought the Redskins might facilitate that and might try to work out, you know, something and kind of, you know, a- agree to kind of part ways now it comes out that they've just taken the opposite approach they're going to fine him what is it up to $40,000 a day yeah. uh for missing camp and eventually they think that's going to entice him to come back
1: right which you know maybe it will maybe it won't i mean the team's always the one that's subjected to to be able to fine you right, right. so if you want to come back and play i'm sure they just wipe that clean and let him do that. It sounds like he doesn't want to do that, though, because of the the medical history and everything with them. And maybe they shopped him around. They couldn't get the deal they wanted to for him, so that's why now they're playing a little more hardball and just saying, "Yeah, we're going to find you forty thousand dollars a day, and that's going to continue to accrue, and you're going to have to deal with that." And so you want to come back, and we can figure this whole thing out. Um, so I don't think it's going to get it's going to get solved anytime soon. This is like a, a Bruce Allen type thing to do, <laughs> right, right. Uh, who's in their front office, and and usually when he does these sorts of things. Uh, It doesn't go well. Right. Um, So, so you, and he's pretty stubborn too. So I don't imagine um, this sorting itself out anytime soon. I I think he's pretty adamant about going somewhere else and he can, he can still play at a very high level. He's still very capable of that. So it'll be interesting to see if he just ends up retiring and then they have like trading away his rights or if he ends up working out a trade deal just because he sits out so long. Eventually they're they're going to want to move on from the situation. You
0: ever have a, um, a team kind of botch some of your medical stuff or, or I just had foot surgery eight weeks ago. Right.
1: And, yeah. You can make the case that I got some bad medical device
0: about a decade ago. That's tough, man. It's always yeah. tough navigating that. All right. And we got Ryan Khalil. Last topic of the day. Uh, obviously comes out of retirement, uh, played for where he played for Panthers last year, yep. Um, decided to come back, really brief retirement, anything left in the tank, he's 8.4 million Uh, to come back. It's worth that, is it? Oh, yeah. yeah? I mean,
1: especially when you've got a second-year quarterback in Sam Darnold who's going to need that sort of improvement in his protection, right? Like, Matt Ryan's MVP here, I always go back to him and say, when the Atlanta Falcons got Alex Mack at center, mm-hmm. it allowed Matt Ryan to step up in the pocket, right? I mean, Sam Donald's more fleet of foot, but at the same time, you go back and watch last year, like, he's running out of the side of the pocket every time. That's what the defense wants you to do. The second you run out of the pocket to one side of the field, you cut the field in half. right? So because of that, you want the ability to step up in the pocket, then still see downfield, and then make your throws wherever you need to. Uh Khalil will allow them the opportunity to do that, and... New head coach, new offense for a second-year quarterback. If they want to take some of the stuff off his plate, Khalil can make a lot of the declarations for the run blocking, pass protection. Like he affords you a lot of things that you can do up front, and so hopefully it gets Adam Gase and the Dolphins off, or excuse me, the Jets off to a good start. Um, And and then maybe they're more competitive with the with the Patriots in the AFC East. Um, But this to me is a huge get for like a young quarterback who's trying to improve himself, and for a roster and and an offensive line that really needed, like outside of Sam Darnold. Le'Veon Bell needs that too. Like right. it's gonna help them out up front with a better blocking scheme.
0: All right. Let me real quick, uh, because we talked about it yesterday. Dolphins quarterback situation. We've got like twenty seconds left. <laughs>
1: now seriously Ryan it'll, 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 be, it'll
0: be Ryan Fitzpatrick. And it,
1: then at some point it'll eventually transition to Rosen because they
0: have to see what they have in them. Gotta see what you got in them.
1: But I think Brian Flores wants to win right now, so he'll go with the guy, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who gives him that best chance.
0: All right, my brother. Thanks for kicking it with us, man. Uh we're off this weekend. We'll see you on Monday.